Hello, coming to you from New York City, this is Disaster Politics, the podcast that explores the intersection of policy and legislation with disaster preparedness, response, and recovery. I'm your host, Jeff Slegamelch. All right, thanks for joining us today. Today we have a very special guest, Guy Cherney, the Chief Marketing Officer at Atlas Dynamics. So we're talking about drones today, and Atlas Dynamics is a company that specializes in drones and drone-related solutions. And we've heard this, along with other technologies, increasingly working its way into the emergency management and disaster management space. But what are the potentials? Where is the field heading? What are the different directions it's heading in? And what is the relationship with government, military, civilian? And how could additional regulation actually benefit the ability to more easily deploy drones and take full advantage of all of the good things they have to offer while mitigating some of the challenges and dangers that they may pose? So it's a great conversation. Really excited to uh, to get your thoughts on Twitter and over email and elsewhere. But for right now, let's get right into it. And we'll see you on the other side. All right, so joining me now is Guy Cherney. He's the Chief Marketing Officer at Atlas Dynamics, uh, an international drone-based solutions organization. They provide drone solutions really across all sectors, public, private, and everything in between. Uh, He's a social entrepreneur with technological startups extending across multiple continents. He's worked in China, Africa, Europe, the U.S., and Israel, among others, both as a startup founder, an investor, a startup accelerator manager, a real change of pace from the, the guest we normally have here on the podcast in all the right ways. It's it's a great perspective. We're thrilled to have it, have you here. So thanks for joining us, Guy. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to participate and talk about this very important issue and about how drones are becoming uh, increasingly more important in the field of uh, first response and security. You know, uh, along those lines, I'd love to hear more about just sort of how, you know, just looking at your background coming from business, coming from a lot of uh, technological innovations and kind of bringing those to market. uh, Why drones and why disasters? Sort of what got you to the place of uh, you and I talking about it here today? So I think that, you know, in general, I'm coming from... uh, Coming from the business perspective, uh, I learned uh, uh, actually learned philosophy, politi- politics, and economy, and then moved to uh, dealing with um, uh, international development uh, in developing countries. And I actually worked. I had, uh, um, as you stated, uh, several social um, social uh, uh, enterprises in Ethiopia, in Rwanda. Um, and uh, also in uh, in Jerusalem, where we founded the first uh, startup accelerator. And I think together, the, the perspective is that eventually technology is a tool. Technology is a tool to create better life for people, um, to create prosperity and growth. And working in Africa, I started seeing the great opportunities um, that drones might might have. I also had a, a startup that did the uh, last mile delivery robotics, not um, uh, uh, um, in China. Um, and uh, when uh, Omri and Ivan uh, approached me to, to join uh, Atlas, 
Um, in the early days, it was clear to me where this thing can go um, and uh, how we can utilize it to do great things. So how are some of the ways that you're seeing drones being used in disasters today, um, both in terms of uh, disaster response? I know you mentioned first responders and, and some of the you know, examples overseas on how they're increasingly being used. What are some of the specific ways that they're being used, but also in, in prior to a disaster and kind of in long-term recovery? What do you see as some of the potential in disasters? All right. So I think that, you know, drones... It's important to understand, even before we saying what are the use cases, it's important to understand what a drone is, right? Eventually for us, as we look at drones at Atlas, a drone is a flying sensor, and it's a flying sensor that provides valuable data in a very fast, accurate, and most importantly, safe way. Uh, it's a working tool. Everybody is going to be enjoying this working tool in the professional business and in the in commercial and, 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 and uh, obviously government as well. Um, and when you look at drone as a working tool, um, it's, it's easy that provides data from above. It's easier to think of where are the scenarios that it could be used. And if you ask me what is the potential of drones, I would say that the potential is almost like the potential of the drill. Right, it's going to be used everywhere, right? Because mm -hmm. it's a tool. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about about drones and disasters for specifically, or, or or emergency response. Because as you said, we're dealing with different scenarios in different markets as well. Um, so you have the 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 preventive measures, right? So drones looking for wildfire, for example, just drone just flying above huge forests. Uh, in order to find or, or locate the beginning of a fire. This is something that is going to be widely used uh, because drones, again, are, are and, and simple and, and efficient and cheap, and uh, uh, you could use them for all of these things as well. If you're looking at you know, ecological uh, disasters like poaching or, or for wild animals or things like that as well, it would be much easier to just have few drones above... Uh, uh, um, uh, above places uh, uh, that are preserved where, with, uh, um, with very uh, um, important animals sure. and keep away poachers. Uh, if you look at how can you react to, uh, to a disaster in real time, so obviously the most important thing that you can do in real time is save lives. Mm -hmm. I will talk about it in a minute why it's still a problem to do and why people do not use it usually in big emergencies uh, um, in the beginning to save lives. Mm -hmm. But obviously the most, the most important thing you can do with it is find people in need and, and assist them and, and send the uh, um, uh, forces to assist them. Um, it can assist you with understanding what happened in real time, right? A lot of times, uh, and this is, you know, everyone that dealt with an emergency uh, um, know that the, the, the biggest problem in the beginning is that you don't understand exactly what happened. A lot of time the data falls, a lot of time the cellular uh, uh, capability falls, a lot of time everything that has to do with, with the data transmission is lost. And if you have the ability to send immediately uh, drones flying into a disaster, uh, you have the ability to receive real-time data. 
Drones can not only send you data, but drones can also create, and this is something that is being used already, after the cellular uh, uh, network falls, they can create a cellular network just by being there. And by that, allowing the forces on the ground to have a cellular network and use it while trying to reach these people in need. Obviously, with everything in, in that has to do with fire, it's easier to find the fire source. Uh, when we're talking about emergencies that have to do with security, then drones provide you eyes from the skies in, in, in a very easy and, 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 and fast measures. Both police officers and fire departments, drones are going to be part of their, of their tools. Just like you have uh, a radio and a shotgun in the back of your car, you're going to have a drone that will assist you wherever you need. And this is when we're talking about, you know, semi-autonomous drones, but also fully autonomous drones, you know, drones that you will have in very specific and important locations that once they even feel uh, um, the need or, or there is some sort of, of an alarm, they can just go and, and react according to pre-planned mission. Uh, everything that has to do after a disaster with, you know, after a disaster, a lot of times the terrain changes completely. Sure. Like you have no idea where you are. You know, maybe you have mud, uh, mud that, that covers all the roads, maybe water covering everything, and you have no idea about it. Uh -huh. So drones, first of all, can go there and using 4K camera do um, 3D mapping of the entire area, and then you understand what has changed. You can also use drones with augmented reality. Right, a drone. Let's say that you have water all over the city. You have no idea which street it is, right? Because you cannot understand the topography. So a drone flies, and with augmented reality using its GPS, he can uses you know just reflect a map above the place he is at, and you understand. All right, I'm above this and this street, and this this house is number uh, uh, 27. This is also, for example. You know, that's, um, uh, that, that's an interesting point as well, too. I was talking with some colleagues who uh, were part of the urban search and rescue task forces that went down and responded to Hurricane Harvey. And uh, mm -hmm. the closer they got to the areas that they were assigned to, the harder it was to navigate because as the tides came in and out, the roads that were open or closed, they would get data from 12 hours ago that this road was open. And now because of the shifting of the tides, um, it had become flooded again and they couldn't get around it. So they had lost a significant amount of time sort of rerouting around this because of the difficulty in getting that real-time data. But it sounds like, you know, some of these solutions are, you know, solving old information problems, but with uh, newer methods that can really take advantage of um, uh, the ability to get around, the ability to not require as much direct manpower to do it. Is that is that fair to say? It's it's definitely fair to say, and it's also important to say that it's much more affordable, mm -hmm. right? Because the, the 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 way you can you know map areas uh, uh, period to drones was mostly using either airplanes or or, or helicopters, which are extensively i mean much more expensive mm -hmm. and this is why they're used less um but it but by the way this also gets me to the problem yep. that i was talking about earlier it's because and we'll talk about it soon everything has to do with regulation and use of drones in the beginning of a disaster usually the authorities does not allow the drones to get in because you have helicopters and there is chaos and they're afraid that, uh, you know, the drones will hit the helicopter 
or something like that. So they just prevented from the drones to, to be there. You know, in, in Harvey as well, most of the success and, and drones were highly successful in the, the recovery or, or, or of Harvey or, or understanding what happened afterwards. But in the real in real time, uh, they were still not allowed to, to get into the airspace. This is something that is going to change. Actually, in, in recent days, uh, uh, the FAA, the FAA uh, Reauthorization Act is something that exactly about this uh, it is talking about. It's still not, uh, um, uh, 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 it's still not um, there, but it will be eventually. You know, I, I uh, this is a great segue too because I was reading your piece in the Hill from December, where you're talking about how you know the need for regulation in order to fully unlock the potential that drones have to offer in the disaster space among elsewhere. And I was wondering if you could talk a little more about that. It's always interesting to me when, you know, uh, industry and government regulators who are typically in more of an adversarial role um, are actually advocating for increased regulation. And it happens from time to time. We've seen it out of uh, most recently out of Silicon Valley with Apple and others sort of looking at uh, privacy regulations to, to be established to provide some guideposts for industry. But I was wondering specific to drones, if you could talk a little bit more about uh, about the piece you wrote and about why um, why regulation in this case is actually necessary in order to um, strengthen uh, the ability to use drones. All right. So, so in short, I'm going to say that there is a need to understand the distinction between several markets for drones or or, uh, or or drone segments. You have the uh, consumer drone market, mm -hmm. which basically everyone can buy a drone and can use it. And you mostly don't need to do anything. You don't need to get a license. You don't need to report who you are. The FAA was trying to, to insert some licensing and some, um, and some, uh, you know, licensing for the operator and for licensing, licensing the drone, signing it so people can identify it. But it's not really happening. It's hard to to enforce, um, and you don't have today the measures to 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 actually tackle it. Then you have the you have the professional market, which are usually uh, uh, drones with more capabilities that are used for professional or commercial um, aspects either defense, security, insurance, agriculture, uh, in the future also logistics. Um, and these drones are regulated, uh, usually as dual-used drones. Uh, you need to have a license, the 107 from the FAA. You need to be uh, uh, registered. Uh, if you are a drone provider, you need to... Uh, you need to declare who you are selling the drone to, the end user. Um, and this is this is the second market, the professional market, um, and this is a market that's supposed to be valued, according to PwC, at around 130 billion dollars to the industry because of the value it's going to create uh, in saving life and provide valuable data. Then you have the army government market, which is the drones uh, or, or airplanes that we know. And what I was saying in the piece is that eventually. Today, there is a big fear from drones. Um, and the fear from drones is, driving, is, driving, is coming because either misuse or abuse of the technology. Eventually, drone technology is a great technology. And like every technology, you can either use it or abuse it. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you can also misuse it. So if we're talking about three things that are usually problematic with drones, one is the issue of privacy. Mm-hmm. Someone flying a drone next to your window and it's annoying. The second is an issue of safety. Um, and, you know, someone flying a drone above people and the drone fall slash someone flying a drone next to an airspace and uh, it can uh, hit a plane. Uh, this is the second one. And the third one is terrorism. Mm-hmm. Uh, using drones for terrorism. Eventually, uh, um, it's a, a, a tool that is being used by terrorists or by um, criminals in different countries. Um, and, and obviously, regulation will not stop them from dealing with it. But regulation will prevent uh, the misuse um, of drones. If you have to register your drone, uh, if you have to have a license, less people will do things that are illegal with drones. Will fly above people, will take pictures of them in their in their uh, in their uh, houses, and uh, uh, flying in places where they're not allowed to fly. And it will reduce dramatically the 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 fear from drones. Now, why am I pro-regulation? Because I believe that as drone regulation uh, um, will go forward and create more restrictions uh, for the hobby level, um, people will get the, the, the picture of how the professional market um, create value and the, mar- and the regulation will be open to them. Now, it's not that you know, we enjoy uh, uh, the both regulation that all of us can do whatever we want. The professional market is heavily regulated. And I'm, and I'm saying that eventually I believe that it should be the same regulation for both a professional and if a consumer wants to enjoy uh, uh, taking pictures with drones, it needs to follow the same regulation. And eventually, in that way, we'll see uh, uh, less chaos in the sky and much more uh, uh, approval for the professionals that knows what they're doing to get in and do the job when they need it exactly uh, like they should have got the approval to get during Harvey uh-huh. uh, uh, to get in and assist in the level uh, of flight that they're allowed to, which is the G level according to the to the FAA, uh, um, and and in this in this uh, um, height uh, provided the valuable data that they that they can. Yeah, and we can talk about the value that they can provide uh, right now. Yeah, and you know, it's. Uh, it, I know I've seen reports of uh, some of the wildfires we've had here in the U.S. of where they've had to call off uh, runs where they were dumping water on the fire because there were so many drones, sort of hobbyists with uh, kind of uh, assuming uh, taking pictures with them mm-hmm. that are uh, sort of, I mean, technically they're not supposed to fly, but with no identification, no registration. Um, it, you know, it kind of, uh, it's interesting that, you know, um, remote control aircraft have been around for quite a while, but even at the hobby level, they've been limited in their range and uh, fairly expensive and always just sort of a niche area, whereas drones have become so pervasive um, that you can buy them, you know, at your local shopping mall for a few hundred dollars with a camera, and they have a, a, a fairly significant range on them. And um, 
uh, could really uh, uh, kind of get into trouble with just the sheer numbers and the increasing capabilities of them. So it's it's interesting, you know, that um, this sort of, you know, you mentioned in your article too the use by terrorist organizations such as ISIS and others that are using them. Um, the kinds of drones that, that we're seeing overseas that are being used in, in terror operations, are these um, sort of retrofitted ones that you could buy at uh, Toys R Us? Well, I guess not Toys R Us anymore. They went bankrupt. But at a, at a, um, at a, at a normal sort of, let's call it the hobby level type of drone that could be outfitted for these acts, or are they using more sort of modified of the um, higher capability drones that are used in, in commercial um, and military application? No, so so what you will see usually in you know either for terrorists or for people that are using drones to to uh, 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 kill people. Only recently there was an act uh, or trying I think in somewhere in South America to to kill a judge with with a drone that was supposed to explode next to him. These are usually uh, consumer drones that you can just buy, and this is this is again part of what I was talking about earlier, the fact that you know professional. Uh, companies that, pro that provide professional drones to government or for organization, we have to, to declare who the end user is uh -huh. to the government and get the authorization, etc., etc. And we, and, and if you just buy a consumer drone, you can just buy it online. Don't have to to tell anyone. You can buy it and then sell it. Uh, it's very uh, affordable. It has good capabilities or good enough for what they need. Yeah. And with simple hacks. Um, with simple hacks, you can make it uh, uh, very lethal. And this is something that it doesn't regulation needs to, to uh, address uh, in different aspects than the, the first two. It's not about, you know, people getting licensed. It's about mostly, you know, how, what, what uh, are the, the qualification that the drone provider or drone distributor um, need to have. But you know this is this is a different subject. I mean, I think that in general, to 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 use drones for emergency response um, and to get more authorization uh, to flying them inside uh, the U.S. or Europe or other places, the the first two uh, 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 are more problematic because you see more people that are disturbed from drones from privacy uh -huh. uh, than other things. So with, in terms of uh, the regulation of this, I know you mentioned the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration here in the United States. Is there a global body providing standards on all of this, or is it really up to the individual countries, or in some cases like the EU, is there a block? Who, who are the uh, regulators out there um, who sort of own this task? All right, so you have, uh, you have the FAA, um, and uh, in Europe, uh, you have, it, it depends. It depends in which country, but in general, most countries are, are following uh, uh, the FAA. It's changed a bit because there's change in frequencies. If you'd ask me, like, where it's easier, uh, the U.S. at least is the same uh, uh, Wi-Fi frequencies in all the states, unlike Europe, when suddenly you can have in this country, it's this uh, frequency and this is the other. Uh, but mostly, mostly most countries uh, uh, follow the FAA. You have few countries that are much more open in regards to regulation, uh, specifically Singapore and Poland. Um, you have countries that are more harsh in regulation, and some countries actually restrict drones completely um, if they're not uh, in government use. Um, and um, and but 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 the FAA is, is a big is a big voice, obviously, uh, in this in this. Um, 
in this uh, 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 field, you have all sorts of bodies that are lobbying uh, 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 for drones um, or, uh, or obviously against drones, depends uh, uh, in which side uh, uh, you, you're at. But, um, but I think that uh, um, what's, what the, the good thing that happened uh, um, after uh, uh, the use of drones in Harvey is that at least in the U.S., the government realized uh, how important drones could be both for emergency and response, but also to the economy. And, and you saw President Trump invited a few of the biggest uh, uh, drone companies in the U.S. Uh, to the White House uh, to consult about, about the regulation, about territories in which drones could do training uh, or try uh, um, um, several uh, um, extreme scenarios that is might high, hard to, to trial um, in regular uh, uh, terrains or, uh, or under the regular regu the, the official regulation. Um, and I think we're going to see more and more of that because, as I said, drones are going to create uh, an immense value. And when you can just use a drone, uh, when a, 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 a professional can just take a drone out of his bag and you know, find the missing person uh -huh. in minutes, because it doesn't have to wait for the helicopter that might not come because it's too expensive, right? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to wait for someone to locate maybe the GPS from the missing person's phone. Um, you can just take it up with a, a, a thermal camera and, and find him. It, it will make a huge, a, a huge difference in saving lives. And obviously in everything else, it has to do with, uh, with, um, with safety. You know, uh, it's not the subject of, of the podcast, but when you look at bridge inspection, uh -huh. it's one of the most in, uh, uh, um, dangerous and expensive infrastructure inspection acts there are there, right? Yeah, and, and actually, just... I, I think it would be great if you could elaborate on that a little bit more, because I know you've written on this topic as well. And when we talk about sort of threats, um, I think an emerging area in disasters absolutely is catastrophic infrastructure failure. So, um, no, please uh, go on about um, infrastructure inspection and kind of uh, the kinds of economies of scale that, that drones can cause and, and reducing the uh, human operator workload. So eventually drones are uh, a very uh, efficient sensor um, that provides valuable data in real time. Um, and you can change the sensor on the drone. So today we are using uh, either uh, a Zoom, you know, uh, electrical, electro-optical, uh, 10x, 20x. Um, you can either use thermal camera. Um, um, you can either use uh, a multi-spectral camera. Uh, you can use 4K to do um, to do um, uh, 3D mapping. Um, and eventually, all of these all of these sensors are are good for assessing the situation of an infrastructure. Today, to do infrastructure inspection, either if it's pipelines, bridges, uh, cellular antennas, um, electric uh, uh, towers, and uh, uh, wind turbines, actually a person needs to go up there and see with his eyes. And then if there's a problem, we need to fix it. But if not, it's just going uh, uh, to the next infrastructure and check it. Today with drones, you can just send a drone up there and with the specific sensor that you need, either understand if there is a problem 
and mark the problem and then know that you need to go there and fix it. And maybe you don't need to go all the way up. When you're talking about bridges, in the U.S. alone, you have more than 900,000 bridges that, according to federal, federal regulation, needs to be inspected every two years. And this is, you know, the, the, the most easy regulation. In some states, you need every one year. Uh-huh. Now, inspecting a real bridge, a big bridge, you need around five people, five days, and heavy machinery that usually also block one of the lanes on the bridge. It's, it's very expensive, and these people are, are risking their lives just to check if there is scratches, right? If you have a, a, a good enough uh, hyperspectral camera on, on, the, on the drone, right, and you can go and find the, the scratches, then you don't need to send a person to do that. You can just need to send a person to fix the specific location and save much time, much money, and obviously save lives. And when you're talking about, you know, fixing infrastructure after a disaster or understanding the problems of infrastructure after disaster, when you have much more infrastructures to check, obviously the usage of of drones will will create an enormous value specifically for the uh, about the timing and what you need to fix. Right, you can check in few days all the infrastructure, understanding exactly what you need and have everything uh, uh, to fix it in few days instead of just going from one infrastructure to the other and do it. And this is. This is when you use drones, uh, uh, you can use them either uh, you operate them and you understand, or in the future, uh, and the future is now, as we say, yes. you know, you, you, they do it autonomously, right? You, you can do it, and in, in, in that aspect, Atlas, we're doing uh, the Atlas Pro is our drone, and we also have the Atlas Nest, which is the docking station. You can have the drone in a docking station somewhere located uh, in a distinct location next to an uh, um, important infrastructure. And, and once a day, the drone knows to go and check it and go back to the box. And only if it understands that there is a problem using the, the neural network and computer vision, then it tells the, the, the headquarters that there is a problem. And if not, everything is fine. And this is the direction we will go. It will also be um, in everything that has to do with the security, everything that has to do with first response. You will have drones in specific locations that are ready to act and act as uh, ready to work and act as eyes in the skies. You know, imagine, I don't know, Central Park, right? You get a call from the police about something that is happening there. If you have a box with a drone there, in seconds you have eyes in the skies, uh-huh. right? You understand exactly what is happening. And this is only when I'm talking about drones as a sensor. And if we want to talk about where drones will go, and it will have a major effect on emergency response, uh, it's drones for logistics. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, you know, it's, um, I know when there were some emerging examples of drones being used to deliver medication and other supplies uh, in the Caribbean during Hurricane Maria. It, it seems that, you know, that there's, um, like in many situations with technology, the uh, the ability to do it is there where the rest of the world seems to be catching up is one, um, we already talked about regulation and it's a very decentralized process, although the U.S. tends to be a thought leader that others follow um, as they lay out these regulations. And uh, But the other that you mentioned too is it crosses so many different sectors. And this is one of the things we find in emergency management and disaster preparedness a lot is these 
issues where the whole community is affected by them, but no single person owns it, really requires these cross-sector approaches, these use cases that you're talking through as well, um, well-defined use cases for people to really talk about and really engage with communities to answer questions of privacy control, what's the right mix of regulation. It, it, it seems to me that, that that's really kind of the frontier for really unlocking this, as you mentioned in your article, both the regulatory side, but also um, getting all these partners together and really sort of convening what are the use cases, what is the potential of them, and how's that gonna be managed? Who's gonna own what aspects of that? Uh, have you guys seen examples where it's, uh, you know, really kind of cutting edge in terms of bringing these groups together to come to a consensus and really, really deploy it in more of a day to day way rather than in kind of the ad hoc that maybe, maybe a lot of folks hear about or read about? I think that um, in general, and you know, this is something I want to say, it's, it's always like a good word. I see a lot of engagement from the government. Uh, I see it in different countries. Um, they want to learn. They call the drone companies, uh, they call the, the aviation or the civilian aviation agencies um, to uh, uh, Congress, to the White House, to the Israeli Knesset or, uh, or uh, to other places uh, in Europe. And they want to consult because they, they, they generally want to understand the potential. They want to understand how we feel about, about the industry and about how we can uh, uh, provide uh, 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 what what the government needs, and a lot of time they, they they do pilots with us, right? Pilots about uh, different ideas, different directions, um, not only for security, but also, as I said, for uh, for inspections and for things that have to do with uh, with the uh, emergency response. I believe that that the government is 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 on the right uh, uh, direction, and and we'll see more and more partnerships uh, uh, as we go. I'm very optimistic about it. And together with these partnerships, we're going to see more ease of regulation, as I said, uh, uh, for us, and especially in 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 the field of behind visual line of sight operation. Because this is the most uh, uh, important thing uh, uh, when you're dealing with either autonomous drones or, or drones to uh, uh, when you deal them with to distance, which is flying uh, behind visual line of sight, what we define as BVLOS. Um, and this is something that uh, uh, we're starting to get uh, uh, waivers um, in an easier way, and I believe it's going to be uh, uh, it's going to the right direction. So this has to do with the, uh, I know some of the, the U.S. regulations, right? You have to be able to maintain a visual on your drone the whole time you're operating it. So what you're talking about um, is uh, getting waivers so it could actually be outside of your line of sight and still be able to operate it based on the sensors and the cameras. Is that is that correct? Exactly. Today in the U.S., you have the ability to fly VLOS, which is visual line of sight. I see the drone that I'm flying. Mm -hmm. You also have permission to fly eVLOS. E extended visual line of sight, which means I'm flying and I do not see the drone, but you, a person, see the drones wherever it is, and you have communication with me. BVLOS is is uh, I'm flying or or the drone flying itself autonomously, uh, and I have no visual line of sight, and obviously can do it in much uh, uh, farther uh, locations. 
So, so if you're mapping flooded streets out in Houston or Port Arthur, you'd obviously need to lose line of sight and sending it into a place where you don't have people to get uh, uh, forward information. So that becomes a critical distinction, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's really, you know, I think um, there's so much emerging technology in the world of emergency management. I think, you know, we've done a lot over the last few years talking about social media, and we've been getting more and more questions about drones. And I think there's a lot of interest among the community really seeing the potential. Um, so, you know, it's been really great having you on and talking through all of this. And I know you do a lot of writing uh, on this as well, too. And I've read some of your, your pieces. I think they're really great. But um, how can people learn more about what you're doing um, and follow some of your work? First of all, the, uh, um, we're uh, online. Uh, you can find us at uh, atlasdynamics.eu, like the European Union.eu um, online. Um, we, you can find us also uh, uh, on Facebook. Um, and as you said, we are trying to uh, uh, provide data uh, to, the, to, the, to the public uh, through the media, uh, mostly because we believe in what we're doing and we believe that drones are here to stay and to stay for good. Uh, and when I say to stay for good, I mean to do good. Yes. We are here to do good. We are here to uh, uh, provide value. Um, and, um, you know, just in that aspect, you know, we started working with unit, uh, uh, 110, um, in, uh, in Europe, which use drones now to, to save missing children, right? And, uh, this is something that we feel great doing, right? It's amazing that we can provide the tools for a unit to go to the woods, uh, countries with, uh, 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 huge, uh, territory and the uh, small population a lot of people go lost in the woods uh-huh. and sometimes it's too late to find them and when you have a thermal camera on a drone that can go up to 40 kilometers you can find them and i'm i'm i'm, I'm encouraging everyone to to follow us on on the on the, the social networks um and uh, you can uh, send us messages using our website asking more questions we're always happy to answer um, and that's it. And if you if you have a drone, use it safely. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for talking us through this. This technology is really, uh, I mean, I think certainly in the the space of a lot of emergency management is is very much in its infancy, uh, but really an exciting and very powerful tool. Um, and I appreciate you sort of describing in that way because it really is dependent on how it's used and how it's applied to the mission. And it's one additional tool that could really um, uh, help help accomplish this mission of keeping the public safe both before, during, and after disasters. So uh, thanks for taking the time, and I hope we can uh, keep the conversation going on this, as I'm sure uh, you know we've only scratched the surface, if that, on this uh, very large topic. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks to Guy for joining us today and for talking us through drones and all that they have to offer and for really sort of making us all a little bit smarter in this space. If you like what we're doing here on Disaster Politics, leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you download this podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. We're at Disaster Politic on Twitter or email us at DisasterPoliticsPodcast at gmail.com. And we got a lot more exciting shows for you coming up this year. We look forward to keeping the discussion going. Until then, stay safe out there.